Hi, and welcome to episode 171 of No Crying in Baseball, the Make Atlanta Hammers Happen episode. My name's Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth, nodding your head. How are you? Hey there. Yes, I am 100% behind the campaign to make the Atlanta Hammers happen. I love it. It's a good one. I do too. More about that in just a few minutes. What you got going on today, my friend? I'm freezing. We just got back from a protest because the police in Gaithersburg, Maryland, shot another African-American young male in the back. And another, not meaning that Gaithersburg has done this before, but that we have a national problem with this. We still have a national problem with this. So Black Lives Matter, folks. They do. And we're going to address that as well later on in today's show, just a tiny little bit. My favorite part of this week was a happy thing. While watching the Celebrate America portion of the inauguration festivities, all of the representation of women in sports that got inserted into all of the honoring and introducing and playing a role in this inauguration that was designed to look like America, it made me so happy. I swear to God, when Kim Ang showed up on the screen to read that part of Ronald Reagan's inaugural address, I teared up. I freaking teared up. And it was TV and it was Reagan. And it teared yep. up with happy. Oh, I totally did too. I, I tweeted really quickly. I'm really bad at sort of that spontaneous tweet. And it was just like lots of party horns. Like, yay, there's Kim Ang on on the inauguration show. Yay. And then Sarah Fuller, who we've talked about before, who was the, the Vanderbilt kicker, who yeah. was the soccer player who then was pulled onto the football team. So, you know, we're, we've got all these glass ceilings shattering and Sarah had the honor of introducing our first female, first many things, vice president. And so what an honor and how well placed that was. I was very yep. excited about that. Yeah, And then um, a DC hero, um, Elena Deladon um, from the Mystics, I guess, also appeared in the Parade Across America and had, there was a, a brief glimpse of her during the during the inaugural thing. So there were a lot of women athletes represented. And it just I, I couldn't be happier about that. I'm with you. This week, we've got hot stove news with Kike and George. We're going to make the Atlanta Hammers happen because Hank Aaron deserves it, damn it. We're going to do a little more cross training with the NWHL. The Mets concur. Jared, nobody wants your dick pics. We've got our Astros and Brewers boyfriends, and we've got Winter Ball. We get to start out with happy. This is like a, a new thing. The Red Sox are trying to win me back, I swear to God, because <laughs> they're wooing you. They, they totally are. I was feeling so disheartened by so many things, Red Sox. And then, you know, first with, with the, hiring a female coach, and now. Kike Hernandez, my like favorite baseball boyfriend, pretty much, you know, as far as character goes of all the guys that we've picked coming from the Dodgers, two years signed with the Red Sox for $14 million. And I just want to say to Kike, change the question mark now, because Kike being Kike with with his sense of humor, his Instagram pick has been him with a hat with a question mark on it all season. Like, where am I going? Kind of thing. Yeah, because he yeah, was teamless. Sure. And and now he needs a big ass B there. So Kike put that B there. I am gonna be excited to see him with the Red Sox. So I don't know. I'm still feeling lukewarm. I'm not thinking that they have any championship in their future. So I don't think I have to be guilty about rooting them toward one, but um, but it'll be fun to watch. At least there's something to keep me entertained. 
that that will be some personality on that team for darn sure. And I I know my jaw dropped when I saw the news about the Blue Jays signing George Springer for $150 million. He had big ticket team, spendy team written all over him. And now it's the Blue Jays, which I think is kind of interesting. Like the Blue Jays are, are are coming to play all of a sudden. They're ma- they made a move. And according to what I've read, they still have some room in their budget to make some more moves. So this may be, you know, early, even though we're getting close. Yeah. The the AL East has been lagging, I think, in in doing stuff, except for maybe the Yankees. And you know, they had the the big one today with getting, and I'm spacing out his name, that the pitcher from Pittsburgh that the Yankees just got. But other than that, you know, the Red Sox have done a teeny bit, and I think the Blue Jays, they they have a good shot. Everybody has a good shot in the AL East. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to see a few more teams step up instead of just shed the guys, right? It's like actually I was just going to say, oops, except for maybe the Orioles. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? There's dish on the Orioles that I, I meant to throw oh. in here, but I just mentioned it briefly. So um, Trey Mancini and um, and Anthony um, Santander both signed. You know, they had they they I guess they do they agree before arbitration? No, no, they went to arbitration and the Orioles. Oh. The Orioles wanted to defer some of their cash on a one-year contract to later years to save money, and they were probably—they were probably How? told, "No, no, you're, you cannot on a one-year contract for these guys. You cannot defer money." And so the Orioles didn't, but that's how. That how poor they are claiming to be. And there is a lot, I mean, they ha- they're having a lot of issues. They are definitely, having, they're laying people off. There's a lot going on. Their whole, um, their regional um, broadcasting network media agreements are in upheaval and expensive. And so there's a lot going on, but this was something new. No one had ever heard of this before. So, wow. Keep an eye on what's happening with the Orioles because it's getting weird here. You know, one of the, one of the, um, see, now I'm talking about it anyway. One of the suspicions, the rumors is they're getting ready to sell. Um, Peter oh. Angelis, the owner, is is aging, and his son has been running things. And it looks like, and, and there's actually some ownership um, potential groups gathering to start getting ready to see if it, it really happens. So they'll be ready to pitch some bids. So wow, how about that? Yeah. So so listeners, keep your eyes open for the launching of the NCIB GoFundMe to buy the O's. <laughs> Don't you want us in charge of the O's? So everybody pitch in. Really, just if, a little if bit. all of our listeners just gave us a few billion dollars each, we would be able to afford <laughs> right. this. We totally would. Hey, super sad day in um, in the world of sports and in the world of civil rights this week with the passing of Hammer and Hank Aaron at the age of 86. I'm not going to go through all of Hank Aaron's achievements. You know them. You can get them elsewhere. But I will t- will say a few things about him and then move on to the whole team situation. So Truist Park, the home of the Atlanta baseball team, opened on Friday and Saturday for socially distant tributes because they got that big old statue of Hank Aaron. And so they it gave people a place to go to honor him. And so oh, that, you know, and again, wow. we keep talking about how ballparks have all the space. And so that's an easy gathering place where you can still behave in a safe manner. So they had, it was open for the, this tributes. Also, there is a, um, there's a marker at the site of the old ballpark where, where Aaron hit his 715th home run, his record breaking home run, which is now like, like in sort of a parking lot situation because the stadium isn't there anymore, but it's, but it's still like set up as a, you know, as a memorial, as an honor, you know, honoring this event. So people have been going there as well and leaving um, memories and all of that. The Brewers 
with whom he finished his career. You know, he was um, on the Atlanta team forever. And then those last two years, he played for the Brewers. So they've decided they're going to wear um, number 44 patches on their uniforms for this season. So the things that I've been reading about that I wish I had known before, I'm ashamed that I didn't, was just how much Hank Aaron had to go through and how scary his life yep. was day to day. I mean, you know, in the back of yes. your head, oh, sure, there is racist. Oh, sure, there is. This. He was under threat constantly, constantly. And the thing yeah. that made me just catch my freaking breath was this piece where it said, you know, when he broke the record and he ran across home plate, his mom was there to greet him and she hugged him and everyone thought that's because she's so happy. She said later she was trying to shield him from snipers. He oh had God. police escorts everywhere he went. He had to check into hotels under fake names. There were threats yep. all the time. And it just, it, it's the kind of thing that kind of crushes your soul a little bit. Yeah. And, and that's where I think people need to know where to shut the fuck up on that because that was horrific what he had to go through. He saved his death threat letters. Like he had stacks of horrible letters to make sure that this wasn't forgotten, you know, that this is history. And that part is just as important as anything else he's doing, you know, what he had to go through for it, which is why it sucked to see comments from people who complimented him sort of for dealing with the struggle quietly. Like he got a lot of cred for, yeah, he went through all this, but he didn't make a big deal out of it. And that's some, some that's just bullshit. Let me and, guess, and by white guys? Honestly, yeah, I was, I was just about to say white people should be shutting up right now, you know, unless it's praise. And one was your favorite Chipper Jones. Who Can said, I start hating him again? Yeah, absolutely. Because he was, you know, sort of bonding with him on the whole Atlanta team. We're in this together thing and said he had every right to be angry or militant, but he never was, you know, like that's a good thing. And, you know, fuck you. You have no Chipper Jones. You have no basis for judging somebody's militancy or lack thereof. Jeff Passan actually deleted a tweet and apologized because he had something and I didn't catch it before it disappeared. Something about how he ignored it with grace like yeah. he didn't pay attention to all the shit that he had to deal with. And dude, that you don't know what he had to go through. So yes, yeah, some of us need to shut up and the rest of us just need to honor who he was and all he gave to the wonderful world of so baseball. So here's how um, I think, I, I'm going to go ahead and speak for you too, Potty Mouth, because you were nodding, that he, NCIB mm -hmm. would like to see this happen. There's a social media push for the Atlanta baseball team to change their freaking name from their racist slur to the Atlanta Hammers after hammering Hank so Aaron, perfect. right? I mean, this is how you do two things at once. You honor this man who was everything to your franchise. You respect him yep. for the civil rights, for what he endured. You respect the his his play, his excellence. And you get rid of, you know, so it's like the, the perfect time to do it, right? I mean, Atlanta has been saying, no, 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 Washington, you do what you want with your football team. Cleveland, you do what you want with your baseball team, but we're fine. We're not even going to entertain changing right. our name. Um, now's a good time. This is the perfect opportunity. Absolutely. And you wouldn't even like lose face if you were worried about losing face. You would gain so many fans by doing this. And what I liked was the proposed logo that the fans have been doing is not that different from the freaking tomahawk. That thing becomes a, a, a oh. hammer really fast, right? 
That's a great point. The graphic designers don't have all that right? much it's work It's a tweak, do. man. It is a tweak. You are almost there already. So make this happen. Um, Hank deserves it. Yes, yes. Uh, speaking of ending racism, women's hockey is on top of things. They're all wearing patches for their little mini bubble season on their uniforms. All of them. All of the women hockey players that say aim end racism. And we'll have a link um, in the notes for player statements because not only are they wearing the patch, but they're speaking about how personally meaningful it is. On the men's end, I just wanted to mention though, did you know that the caps were fined $100,000 for breaking yep. COVID? Regulations. Yep. yep. There's a lot of that going around huh. as it turns out. So I'm glad that um, there's some enforcement happening. But yeah, there's a there's a lot of um, people getting caught and getting um, put to rights. There are consequences, people, besides, oh, say, infecting people. You know, there are other consequences <laughs> right. as well. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So we're going to rant. We're going to. Oh, wait. We've been ranting a little bit. <laughs> I was going to say, what's new? All right. We now we're going to rant, rant about sexism. Okay, but a lot of the words are very close to what we just said about racism. Jared frickin' Porter, yes, he earned, this week he earned the middle name we have saved for a very precious few people. Um, he was hired as the general manager of the Mets in December. He was fired this week for sending dick pics to a female journalist in 2016 while he was the director of professional scouting for the Cubs. He sent this woman who was not from here, um, her... Identity is sort of being protected. It's supposed to be protected. There have been some clues that have been dropped, which are unprofessional. Don't do that, people. That's not Absolutely. okay. There's a reason she doesn't yeah. want to have her name out there. But she's not from here. And he sent her over 60 unsolicited and unanswered texts, ending with, in fact, a dick pic. And when the Mets did their vetting, they asked a lot of people about this guy, Jared Porter. They didn't ask one single woman what what their right. what the history was. Like when they did the character check, you know, well, what is this guy like? Because that's supposed to matter, right? And Sandy Ellerson of the Met said, "Well, there just aren't that many women to ask." Yes, okay. Number one, you can find them if you look a little harder. But number right. two, that is one of the problems. Okay, so this journalist, there are so few women journalists in sports, she didn't have other women to go to for support, right? And you are afraid of speaking up. We said this about domestic abuse, whatever. If you speak up, what is that going to do for you? Is she going to lose her job? Is she going to get blacklisted, right? Are people going to believe her? What's going to happen to her? So you're afraid to speak up. Jess Mendoza, I'm going to um, link to this clip that they had with her on ESPN talking about this and said, for instance, and this is kind of what happened to this journalist. She's, she's saying, when I try to get contact information for players or other people in the baseball world, like their phone number, they pretty much think I'm trying to ask them out. I can't like ask for a freaking phone number without somebody taking it the wrong way, which wouldn't happen if she were a guy. So we need to get to a place where people see you as a professional first and assume professional first, unless you hear otherwise. And she had a, a really good explanation. If there's no place to go, there is no support. And this has got to change and it's got to change now. So thank you. Thank you, Steve Cohen. Yes, absolutely. For saying right out there, zero tolerance. So he was like, that's it. We don't, you know, there's no dick dicking around, <laughs> so to speak. Um, he, he was ready to just, all right, that's the end. So, and, and that was refreshing because that doesn't, hasn't been happening 
nearly yeah. enough. And just the fact that this guy, you know, was was in this position and apparently without any checking on any women. And then you look at what Kim Eng had to go through for how many years to get to be GM. And she's 11 years older than this guy. Way more experience. It's just, yeah. Oh, so much more direct experience. But, you know, there's just not, it's the, not parody yet. But here we are ranting so that there That's will right. be That's right. So good. kudos to Steve Cohen. We kind of wish you guys would have caught this before. But also... <laughs> The Cubs didn't catch it before, and the Diamondbacks, where he was in between, didn't catch it before either. But I'm very glad that the Mets acted on it immediately as soon as they found out. So, yay. We're going to move on to our boyfriends for this week. These are the guys that we pick every week. We do two teams a week, one AL, one NL, and we each pick one guy that we think is cool, beyond the field, usually. For for some sort of reason that we can connect with, we we look at it as the guy that we want to hang out and have a beer with. So my I've been having themes weirdly, and it and it happens after the fact. Like I look at the two picks and go, wait, that's weird that they have that in common. So my this year's this year this week's picks are magic number seven. They each spent seven seasons in the minors, and one the first one I'm going to talk about has not come out yet. And I'm hoping he comes out this year because I'm, I'm picking him for the Astros. Jose Siri outfielder, 25 years old. And we, I, we may have mentioned recently that the Astros present a particular challenge for us because we don't pick anybody who is involved in the cheating scandal. So the Astros that we picked last year, we're very young, and I don't think either of them saw the light of day play. But I'm hopeful for Siri. He, the reason why I'm picking him is because I've been watching him play. And he has been raking in the Dominican Republic, and actually for several years. So I'm wondering if part of his issue is like a cultural transfer issue between Dominican ball and U.S. ball. So he's from the DR. He's been playing with the Gigantes de Cibao. He was their number one draft pick in 2017. And I was watching him a lot both this year and a couple years ago. He played a huge part this year in the Gigantes defeating the Estrellas Orientales for the championship. And you'll remember that the Estrellas got some last-minute reinforcement from some little names like, oh, Tatis Jr. and Robinson Cano. So in the semis against the Gigantes, he, against the Estrellas uh-huh. Orientales, sorry about that. Actually, I totally misspoke because the, the, the finals were against the Aguilas, which they lost, the Aguilas won. But the Gigantes de Cibao won against the Estrellas in the semis. All right, a little bit of a re- rewind there. He got the 10th inning walk-off home run in game three, And that was part of the package that brought him to MVP of the semifinals. So not bad. He was 393 in the series, slugging 821 with an OPS of 1.221. And a great video. I hope I I put down the link for it during the regular season. He robbed home plate. Everybody was just sort of standing there. He just ran into home plate took advantage of a good situation and uh, received gold glove. In 2019, he was, so in the Dominican ball, 
They pick reinforcements. So when teams are eliminated, as other teams progress in the championships, they get to pick members from the teams that are no longer there. So he was a reinforcement in 2019 when the Estrellas Orientales won their very historic championship, first time after 51 years, with Fernando Tatis Jr. playing and Fernando Tati Sr. managing. So is this sort of magical dream team? And Siri was part of it. So that I think that's where I first heard his name and sort of uh, he caught my eye. He's a lifelong ball player. And just it's it's he's one of those guys that it's always been part of his life. And he's always been really passionate about it. And he even now in his interviews, he's talking about how he's been playing since he was seven, but playing seriously since he was seven years old. He talks about his childhood really focused on baseball. And he says that even now he remembers every first, like his first hit as a little kid, his first home run, his first stealing a base. It's all still part of his memory. And he credits his parents for being there for him and encouraging We're the always baseball big fans with about both him Oh, totally. That's like a, that's a huge plus. Him and his brother. And there was an interview where he said his brother just signed with Arizona, and I cannot find any evidence of that. So I don't know. There might be a brother named Gerald Emanuel Siri playing somewhere. He has a son who was born in early 2019, and there's a, there are a lot of emotional posts about him and his son and how he wants to be to his son like his parents were with him. He's definitely one of these guys who's into working hard while having fun. And this is kind of where I'm wondering where the cultural thing went, because he talks about how much work he puts into it. But he also talks about how he's he likes the party part of it. If you watch Dominican Ball, there's a lot of celebration. He loves the outfield. He loves center field because he has so much space to run and to dive and to enjoy, you know, making plays. He talks about how um, in the minors, you could tell, he said that the fans like nicely applaud, whereas down here, fans are like partying and dancing and stuff. And the, the whole rules thing, he talked about how the minors are more strict and maybe the DR is a little bit more loose and not loose in like a negative way, loose in like a uh, hangout and enjoy what you're doing kind of way. So I'm hoping he can adapt to the Astros this year. Good old Dusty Baker, take care of Jose Siri. He's been in the Reds his whole experience since he signed at age 17 in 2012. So that's seven seasons with the Reds. He did pretty well. He was batting 264 with an OPS of 760, but never saw the light of MLB. In 20, he never actually played, even though he was claimed off waivers twice by the Mariners and the Giants, then became a free agent. And here he goes with the Astros. He's on a minor league contract, but I'm I'm hopeful. So Jose Siri, my Astros guy. We'll see where he Sounds goes. great. Can't wait to watch him. Hope I get to. So my guys, it turns out, do they, they do have a little bit in common. One is they've both encountered some competition from the Dodgers in their lifetimes, with their, their backstory. Huh. And they either did not play much at all in 2020 or possibly wish they hadn't because their seasons were so bad in 2020. <laughs> so we're going to start with my Astros boyfriend, Jordan Alvarez, who... Again, you know, last week we talked about guys being listed as one position, but not really playing that position. He's listed as outfield, but really he's a designated hitter for darn sure. He's only 23, and he lit up the major leagues in 2019, right? He is from Las Tunas, Cuba. Um, In 2014, 
his dad took him to the Dominican Republic to look for baseball programs because he'd been playing on the, you know, the, the Cuba teams and was great. He was just great. And you need to find a way to get seen, right? You're in Cuba. How are you going to get seen there? So they went to look for baseball programs. They found a guy who used to be with the White Sox organization who runs sort of one of the academies, sort of shepherds these players, right? Get to get them seen. This guy in a good way. There are others who do not. We may mention those later if I remember to. So he gets hooked up with this guy and they he has to move his residency to Haiti, which means defect. And then from Haiti mm-hmm. to the Dominican Republic, we've talked about this path before. We've also talked about how it's hard to really pin that down because I read many, many pieces about his background and the dates are all a little fuzzy and where he went to first is a little fuzzy. One interesting thing about when he was in Haiti, he ran into both um, Yuli and Lourdes Guriel who were there basically on the down low. They said, you can't say you saw us at this time because they were doing the same thing, right? (laughs) They were getting the paperwork done. They were in the process of defecting also at that time, right? So he makes his way to the Dominican Republic. He goes to all of these showcases and whatnot. He gets into, he gets taken to Florida where there's international showcases there. He can come into the country then. And the Dodgers and the Astros get into a bidding war about this kid. And the Dodgers win. Okay, so they signed him as an international free agent in 2016 for $2 million. And again, this is like one of those cases where this is like more money than God and, you know, in in relative, right? Yeah. Um, The Dodgers had to pay a penalty of approximately $2 million for exceeding those international spending limits. They basically paid $4 million out of the Dodger pockets. $2 million went to um, Jordan Alvarez. He was traded to the Astros. Remember the bidding war? Traded to the Astros less than two months later because the Dodgers needed a relief pitcher. The um, the Astros had one. And so he was traded. And it goes down wow. in the books as one of the most lopsided trades ever because the, the pitcher that they got, you know, he did fine. He did fine. But, but Jordan and Alvarez, oh, my gosh. Okay, so. Actually, you know what I didn't mention before about Yuli Gurriel, who we ended up playing with, right, on the Astros, was that Mm -hmm. that was one of his idols because he's so young that Yuli Gurriel was playing for for Cuban teams when he was a kid, when, you know, when Jordan was a kid. And then they end up being teammates on the Astros in 2019, where there were five Cubans playing actively for the Astros in 2019. That's the first time that many Cubans have been on one team since 1969 Reds. Wow. Right? That's impressive. Right? So his debut yeah. was in June of 2019. And his teammate, he was known for hitting home runs in the minors, right? His teammates told him that he was going to be fined if he didn't homer in his debut. Everybody told him that. This was <laughs> this was a plot. This was a conspiracy. Everyone told him that. So Poor he went kid. ahead and homered. He went ahead and homered in a second at bat just oh, to make man. sure. He also then went on to homer four times in his first five games. And he never stopped. He is the first Astro to homer into the third deck at Minute Maid Park. That's way up there. It's so unusual. They replaced that seat with a bright orange seat to mark the event. Wow. You might remember that we talked about he had a three home run, seven RBI game. And your guy, Aristides Aquino from the Reds, had a three run home, home run game on the same day. And that was the first time that two rookies had three run, three home run games. On the same day, right? That sounds vaguely familiar. That's I remember right. that and story. And so 
so um so Jordan played 89 games, right? He played a little more than half a season. He was the unanimous winner of the AL Rookie of the Year award because his numbers were so amazing. And when you then cut that down to how few games he played, it was even more stunning. He broke Carlos Correa's record for home runs by a rookie in a single season for the franchise. He broke records that were formerly held by Aaron Judge, George Springer, Jeff Bagwell, Albert Pujols, and Ted freaking Williams. That's freaking in a good way when oh, I say whoa. it with Ted Williams. The, the, <laughs> the, the list of records that he broke is so long, I'm not even going to bother with it. There's so many. But one of my favorites is he was the youngest Cuban-born player to ever homer in a World Series. And yes, that was against the Nationals. He did have this thing happen to him that also happened to Juan Soto, which was a, a the one of the sports announcers, one of the radio announcers sort of joked about, oh, we can't possibly be 22. And this oh. is the thing that happens with players from Latin America. Right. And so, yeah, ha ha, you might think it's funny, but it's not because this is important. The, the ages matter, yeah. right? This actually matters for immigration purpose, matters for a lot of things. You don't joke about that. Jordan is, was very kind. And he said, I checked with my mom and she says, I am who I am and I'm my age. So I like that sense of humor about <laughs> it. I'm angry about it, but he's got a sense of humor about it. So this season, however, this season, after that fantastic 2019, he missed the first three weeks of the shortened season because of COVID-19. His wife also had it. Their baby did not. Um, she, uh, His wife was asymptomatic. Oof. He had symptoms. Their, their baby was okay. Um, so when he finally came back in August, he had a three-run homer in his first at bat. But he only ended up playing two games in 2020 because he had two knee surgeries. In August, two, one on each knee, different kinds of surgeries. What? So apparently, both. Yeah, so apparently, 2019, we had this amazing season. Mm. He was playing through pain and finally got to be mm. too much. So they took care of it. And all systems are go. Everyone expects him to start the season on time if the season starts on time. But every, it all looks good. It looks good. His recovery is going on schedule. Everyone is looking forward to him getting back to where he was in 2019. You'll see when we talk a little bit later about my other boyfriend that, you know, that right after those knee injuries may or may not be your best season, but everybody's hopeful on the happy side of kind things that people do um, has he and his wife, Monica, delivered pizzas to 100 Houston based police and fire stations in May uh, to feed those folks, those first wow. responders who were working so hard. So I got to appreciate that, too. That's super sweet. I'm, wor I'm worried about this young guy with two yeah. knee surgeries, like both knees at 23. Yeah. yeah, he'll be okay. Well, I've got a I've got a common theme with you too, though, for guys missing the beginning of 2020 because of COVID. Imagine that, that that would yeah. be common, guys coming down with COVID. Oh my God, are we ever going to get out of this shit? Uh, we're moving over to the Brewers in the National League. And I'm going with Luis Urias, Third base, according to fan graphs, um, MLB site still has him listed as second, but it's looking like it's going to be third. He's also 23 years old. Uh, the, at first, when I saw the name, I thought, wait, there's there's like a wrong tone with that. So I confirmed that he is not the Urias who was charged with domestic violence. That was Julio with the Dodgers, and we're going to stay the fuck away from him. Then I realized, oh, this is the Urias that's one of the Padres babies. Like the Padres, and I, I tweeted this, I swear to God, they have closets full of prospects. <laughs> they have like all these amazing prospects. Binders. Is it they're binders? Now getting binders a lot full of, of prospects? Old people totally. get that joke. Binders. <laughs> 
Totally. They've just got lots of prospects and, and they're getting good return for it and they still have more. But I remember when Luis was traded that it was a big emotional thing. And I know our friends from Hell's Bells were in on this. And when I was scanning Luis's Twitter, he actually retweeted a picture of himself with Angie and oh, Roy. Really? That, that bull, bullpen babe had tweeted to him, which is just like, oh, and that's just part of what's adorable about him, too. He had a lot of, like, tweets with young kids. Like, he was one – I think this is why a lot of Padres fans are, are really, you know, mourning a little bit of losing some of these prospects because they were such – personable guys down in the minors and we're out there for the fans. And for Luis, a big deal is that he's Mexican born and the Padres did have kind of a small squad and they're in San Diego, right? So this is like a big deal for them to have that Mexican element there and to start losing that. And they've lost several of them is, is a hard thing I think um, for the fan base. So yeah, from Mexico, he, Left school at age 15 is what he said. His dad in an article said that he was playing and doing academics at the same time. So I'm not sure if he meant that he left school, ended up going to a baseball school with help, but it sounds like he didn't graduate high school, which is kind of an interesting thing because both of his parents are teachers. So he talked about, this is the same thing as I was saying with Jose Seri, about how baseball was his passion through his whole life. And he appreciated his parents supporting him with the baseball dreams, even though they were both teachers and would want him to be studying. But this is, you know, it's it's all always contextual, too. So me as a teacher, yeah, I like the guys who to focus on their education, but I also understand the circumstances here. And he ended up doing pretty well. He was signed by the Padres in 2013. So I was trying to do the math on that, right? He's 23 years old now. That means he was like 14 or 15. Like, I guess that's the leaving school at 15 and going to the Padres, but debuted in August 18 at age 21. And I think that was when Fernando Tatis Jr. was injured, actually, and he filled in a little bit in there and then was traded to the Brewers in 19. So he didn't have that much time with the Padres last year during winter ball. This is the clincher for me picking him as a baseball boyfriend. He broke his hamate right, bone and then he had surgery. <laughs> so you know that when you break the hamate bone, Patty has proven this time and time again. This is like Patty's theory of hamate. <laughs> they come back stronger. He was playing with the Yaquis de Obregón, by the way, in the Mexican Winter League, Liga Mexicana de Pacifica. So you would think that he would have been Superman in 20, but then there's that fucking COVID thing. So he had COVID at the beginning of 20. So I think his superstar abilities have not yet gotten to shine, but they will in 2021. So last year, he didn't get to play till August. So he hasn't played a lot in the majors yet. Um, in 2020, he played 30 games at third, 10 at second, and eight at shortstop. So the guy is versatile. So there's not a big sample size of his batting in the majors, and it's not that great. But in the minors, he was known for really raking it. He's seven seasons in the minors, slashed 308, 397, 433. He was in two AAA All-Star games with the Chihuahuas and I love the Chihuahuas. That's just so great. And in uh, in 2019, in April, 
He was the only Chihuahua with three home runs in one game. So like a a franchise record of three home runs in one game. He played uh, in the World Baseball Classic in 2017 for Mexico. And this is another one with a brother who's playing. His brother Ramon is with the O's. And they actually have the same birthday, three years apart. And it's weirdly on purpose. Like his parents knew that his mom was getting a C-section and they scheduled it for the same birthday as the brother. So they're pretty close. And they played on Mexican national teams as kids. And Luis, I think, started playing in the U.S. a little bit earlier, but they both got signed the same time. Uh, They played in Mexico with each other, against each other. But for U.S., in 2017 was the first time that they played facing each other when they were on different minor league teams. And it was on Father's Day. And his dad got to go and be in the stands and watch both of his kids play against each other for the first time. Another plus for me is that his favorite all-time player is Dustin Pedroia. And people forget how awesome Dustin Pedroia was because he's been dragging out the past couple of years with injuries and kind of being on the Red Sox list. But folks, he was AL MVP. He was Rookie of the Year. So he's a good idol to hang on to. And uh, yeah, that's about it for Luis Arias. That's I think I have a lot of good reasons to keep him as a baseball I think you player. do. The hits just keep on coming. I think you got this one down. I know that last week I said I wasn't sure if I was going to keep my Brewers boyfriend as my once and forever boyfriend, but how can I not keep Christian Yelich, even though he had a super crappy 2020, right? He, he really, really did. did. I was wondering about that because I looked at that. Really I was like, did. Hmm, okay, 2018 MVP, runner up for MVP in 2019, two batting titles, and then the season that he would very much like to forget. But right before, so I'm not going to go back into like all the great things about him because, you know, all that. I'm just going to catch you up on what's happened since last time we profiled Christian Yelich. He signed a nine-year, $215 million contract with the Brewers. He's going to be a Brewer forever. This happened right before everything shut down for COVID. And actually, he's sort of lucky financially that it happened when it did because that was before everybody started watching their pennies. Right. So that was like, well, you know, that that mm-hmm. was and he's like, he's like still three years away from free agencies or what at the time was three years away from free agencies. So so like, you know, locking him down was important for the Brewers to do. And frankly, all signs are pointing to a comeback. So we talked about the whole knee injury thing. He was coming off of a knee injury. It was a weird season. He you know, there's a lot of excuses. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I'm hopeful. Because he's such a good guy. I want him to succeed Aww. again. All right. So when the shutdown started, you know, he's a California boy, but he said a lot of things to make himself mm-hmm. also a Wisconsin boy, which I really appreciate. So he was in LA when the shutdown happened. And so to stay in shape, he played catch in the street with his little brother. He said, it's, we haven't done this since we were like 10 years old. But it was very Aww. funny. He said, yeah, sometimes people yeah. would take walks or drive by and give us some weird looks or kind of stop and gawk a little bit because <laughs> that was odd. The whole thing was odd. But, you know, you got to stay in shape somehow, right? So we've talked before about his charity, California Strong, which came into being to help the people hurt by so many wildfires in California, right? They, he did all kinds of fundraisers. There was at the celebrity softball games and many other ways to raise funds and got a lot of other ball players involved. 
so they talked about at the time that what they wanted to establish was a rainy day fund so that they didn't have to raise money at the last second when another disaster struck, but keep on raising money. So they are ready to start helping immediately when something happens. So they had this fund in place and they were ready to buy PPE. They were ready to supply meals to people who needed meals. They were ready to hand out cash basically to people who were losing their jobs and were otherwise hurt by the pandemic. So they were super strong with their California strong foundation right away as we would expect. But also because now he's a brewer for life, he and Ryan Braun, who also works with him in California Strong, started a partnership with something called the Third Street Market Hall Food Distribution Partnership with other and some companies in Milwaukee. And together they provided meals for healthcare workers at four regional hospital networks, not just hospitals, but hospital networks. So the first weekend alone, they provided a thousand meals for frontline hospital workers to take home to their families, and they just kept on doing it. So he's really involved in his hometown and he's really involved in his adopted hometown. And I appreciate that very much. I also appreciate the amount of cross training he does with other Milwaukee sports. We just recently, I'm going to pretend I haven't been looking at the Packers score because there's only a few minutes left and it's not looking good for the good guys, but he tweeted, he tweeted a photo of himself with the bat flip that you've probably seen before you would look at it and say, Oh yeah, but they've Photoshopped a Packers uniform on him. Right. So he's like showing his like unity with the Packers. We've talked about him at Bucks games. We've talked about him having chugging contests versus Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Packers at Bucks games. So he's very involved with other local sports guys and like is really showing up for this town. Right. He doesn't just play his game and then go back to Los Angeles. He's there. He lives there now. Right. This is his thing. This relationship that he has with the Bucks in particular was really important back in August with the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha. Because if you remember, the Bucks were the first team to say, we're not playing. We need to make a statement. Mm-hmm. We are not right. playing, right? So those guys mm-hmm. were in touch with their friends on the Brewers. So the Brewers were the first baseball team to say, we're not playing either. They talked about it immediately. They unanimously voted to not play for it. They went out to the field. They met with, and and, um, Yelich was one of the guys who went out as a representative of the team to meet with guys from the Reds to say, we're not playing and here's why. And the Reds said, great, perfect. We're not doing it either. That's the right thing to do, right? So they, they acted on that right away. And part of it was that they were in touch with each other, with the other teams all day long, right? But they were also unified as a team themselves, which was very important. And in all the press conferences afterwards, I, I know I mentioned this before, but I want to say it again. You know, they're wearing their, you know, their equality, justice, you know, propaganda t-shirts. And what Christian Yelich said when he got in front of a microphone that very day was, there comes a time when you have to live it. You have to step up. You can't just wear these shirts and think that all's well and good. And then when it comes time to act on it or, or make a stand or make a statement, you can't just not do it. So I like that he gives a voice to things. And, you know, sometimes you need a white guy to say those things so other white guys can hear it, right? Which is, mm-hmm. you know, one small piece of, of the puzzle that we're putting together. So I'm glad he's using his privilege for good. I appreciate using privilege for good. And he's got a lot of privilege. And he's also working right there in the community that he grew up in and the community that he's adopted. And, you know, there was that whole body issue thing. So um, (laughs) I swear that's not the reason, but it doesn't hurt. Relax, Roxanne. You know, I was, 
I was just about to say, like, I'm so impressed that you're you're keeping a boyfriend not because of his on-field skills necessarily, because he didn't show that this past year, but because he's been such an impressive community person and in the body. Like, I love the body issue That's as crazy. part of that. Yeah, it's, it's, that a, it's a, it's yeah. a lanyard, but it's a little bit extra. It works. Hey, it totally next week, works. we've got All the right. Blue Jays where Springer is now, and we've got the Reds. I have no idea who I'm going to pick. Me either. That's what I've been thinking every week when you say that. Like, oh, shit, what am I going to do what? for that team? Actually, last week, I, as soon as you said Astros, I knew I was going to do Siri. But uh, actually, no, I have a Blue Jays. Excellent. Oh, I can't wait to find uh, out. To but continued. first, I'm going to open beer number two. <sighs> there we go. Oh, nice. What is beer number so, two? Oh, beer us. number one was um, the, uh, Beyond the Gnome World from Silver Branch. Beer number oh. two is their Glass Castle Pilsner which is a very drinkable everyday beer that I like from Silver Branch. So we're totally repping Silver Branch tonight. My beer number one was Squid Vicious. Oh, I haven't tried that one yet. Which is a really, it's a wonderful name and it's a wonderful beer. I highly recommend Silver Branch Squid Vicious. And beer number two is, I am not sure, is something that Mr. Potty And here we are with me. all of our, our, our Wicked so, Weed. Like I've got my Wicked Weed koozie. You've got your Wicked Weed glass. Right? And we don't have any Wicked Weed. That's a problem. Right, right. Anybody down there in, in North Carolina, right, who wants to send us some wicked weed, we will we will send you our mailing address. Just DM us. All right. As far as being from other places, yeah. I don't know. Weird segue. I'm going to go into international baseball. Are you going to swear? There's Are you going to swear? I, I am. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I, the, Australia. So the Blue Sox, so the good news is, you know, whatever COVID situation was hampering the Sydney Blue Sox from playing for however fucking long, beyond my one-month subscription, they didn't play. Uh, they're playing again. But, you know, Manny Ramirez is nowhere near them at this point. Like, nothing to do with it. There's not even Manny and Rachel's adventures down under on Instagram. Manny is gone. But... Sports fuck. I mean, sports flick. And I swear to God, their name on my phone. It's, <laughs> if you look at the, if you look at the little thing for the app, it it looks like sports fuck, but it's sports flick. They're still running Manny ads like on the ABL website. So screw that. I am no longer a Blue Sox fan, but I, I was toying with the the Melbourne Aces. They have Delman Young, which I thought was fascinating. Like once in a while, when you're paying attention to international baseball, you go, wait, that person that is guy. there, and it's that guy. He DH'd and pitched. And he was not a pitcher in the MLB either. But they ran out of bullpen and they put him pitching. I'm not quite sure how he did. He is a little bit infamous with MLB. He was arrested in 2012 for various negative things, including including some nasty slurs and went through this whole you know, the whole re-education program process thing. But it sounds then, so 1984 again, when you say that. <laughs> right. I, I, totally. And then he was arrested again in 2016. So I think like the bottom line of that is that is why we don't let it go. Because when these stories, you know, hit the fire and we're like, all right, this guy was accused for domestic violence. Oh, look, he wasn't, you know, even in, in, indicted or anything in court because, how about that? They drop the charges and then it disappears. And so at that point, most people just forget about it. But I kind of feel like we have this responsibility to not do that and to just say, well, you know, if he was in innocent, sorry, shit luck, but we're going to be following the woman's point of view on this. Yeah. Anyway, 
out of Australia into Dominican Republic, where there's slightly better news. When we left Leadom last week, it was the last game, and I had announced my prophecy on the last podcast, where I literally rooted for them to lose game three so that they could come back from being down 3-1, and they did it. And they won the whole thing, which is why my fuck up earlier tonight is incredibly embarrassing. But so be it. The Aguilas Cibaeñas are the champs of Lidon. They came back from 3-1 and they joined the 3-1 club with the Leones de Escogida, which is the team that I had been supporting at the beginning. The only other Lidon team to come back from 3-1 to win it all. The Aguilas, however, are the best team in Lidon history. They are tied with Tigers. Tigres de Lisset for 22 championships, but on some of the other data that Winterball uses, they did better. Like they've been in the postseason more often. They were in the last place fewer times. So hats off to the Aguilas. And like I had said before, they're at this point now where they get to bring in reinforcements. So when they go to the Serie del Caribe, which we should all be watching starting at, I think it's January 31st, they're bringing on players from all the other Dominican Republic teams. So it is kind of like a national team, but it goes in under the Aguilas name. They're bringing in Robinson Cano, which <laughs> I think is fascinating because it's it, what usually happens at this time is all the players who play in MLB have to piss off and go back to spring training and don't actually play in the Serie del Caribe, even if they've been playing in their country all winter season. Yeah, but, you know, Cano has nowhere to go, so he's going to be going to the Serie de Caribe along with Junior Lake from the Estrellas Orientales. And Junior Lake is is like that captain kind of guy who's just been always there and solid for them. There's three coming over from the Toros del Este, including Fernando Abad who you might recognize from pitching for various MLB teams for a while. One player from the Gigantes de Cibao, and they're taking two from the Leones de Escogido, including my very, very favorite, Jumbo Diaz. And he is a great relief pitcher who has earned that name. Oh, plus one more from Tigres de Lice. But possible glitch in the plans because they all just got COVID Uh-oh. tested and a bunch of them are oh, positive. No. So nobody, I don't know who. So we'll see who actually gets to go to the Serie del Caribe. So the other uh, Latin American teams are also going through their championships to figure out who gets to go to the Serie del Caribe. And right now, tonight, the Caribes de Anzuategui are playing against the Cardinales de Lara. The Cardinales made it in, I think, since our last since our last episode, but they are now down, I think, two to Oh, against the Caribe. So they've got a few more games to go. We'll know by next week. But today there was a home run derby. And it actually, I, I found out afterwards, it was not actually in Venezuela. I think it was in Miami, but it was Venezuelan MLB players doing a home run derby, including Wilson I Ramos. Love him. Wilson, yeah, Buffalo. And and uh, spoiler alert, he did make it down to the to the finals because you can now watch this on YouTube. Follow the link in our notes. So Wilson was in there. Wilson, another Wilson, Wilson Contreras, and his brother William Contreras, who is now on the Atlanta team. Eugenio Eugenio Suarez, Glaber Torres. 
Isn't this so cool? And Eduardo Rodriguez, who's a pitcher for the Red Sox, I'm not quite sure what he was doing there. I hope he wasn't batting. You know, but I hear pitchers can be athletes, sweet. and and some of them can in mm. fact bat, and they should be allowed to. Oh, did, did you see? Right, how I will watch that the replay in there. Yeah, check check that out. I will watch the replay. We will see how Eduardo <laughs> Rodriguez did. You two can watch the replay. It is in our notes. Such a cool thing, though. Like, why not do something like that? Home run derby with all the players from a certain country. Uh, the Liga Baseball Profesional Roberto Clemente in in Puerto Rico is at the end. I think right now you guys are past us. So the Criollos might have won it all. They were up three to nothing over the Indios, but who knows? You know, comebacks happen. They could be winning it all as we speak. And then finally, look forward to baseball in Taiwan coming soon. Spring training is February 26th to March 10th. March 13th is opening day. And I have a calendar for you. I have, yeah, it's... I didn't open it yet. It's in packaging, but this is for you. I'm holding it up, oh, everybody, so that Patty is, is can it a see it. Calendar? It's got this. It's a monkey's calendar from Taiwan, and it's a big ass thing in a cylinder. So I don't know. I'll just bring it over to you, and you can cut I'm open. I'm so all this excited to see it. That's very exciting. We'll have to we'll have to show you on social media. Hey, wait a minute. While we're saying social media, and while you're finishing that beer, where can people find us on social media so they can see my new calendar? Hang out with us on Twitter and CIB Podcast, Facebook and Instagram at No Crying in Bebop. Oh, it's lots of fun because then you can always see our souvenirs. And I'm just saying there's a minute 30 left in the football game and the, the good guys are down by five. So I, you know, I'm hopeful, oh. but not, I don't even know who has the ball because I'm not looking at that because I'm trying to pay attention to baseball the way that I do. Hey, so, um, so this week I'm going to be spending time crocheting tiny little Bernie's. With tiny little mittens because my <laughs> friends talked me into it. What are you doing this week? Hey, I bet you're 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 teaching some kids some stuff and fighting the man. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much I'm taking a class teaching kids. All right. Yep. All right. Stuff. These are all important things that we are all doing to, to change the world. So um, you guys should um, feel free to listen to some back episodes, especially if you hear us mention some guys that you want to know. What did you say about them when you profile them before? Because we do refer to some former boyfriends. Tell your friends if you think they'd like to hear us talk about baseball. Leave us a review or a rating if you have a chance to do that. And until next week, please wear your masks. Please watch your distance. Please stay inside. Please fight the man. And say goodnight, potty mouth. Good night, potty mouth. I think I can complete a trial run of socialist on a shelf.